It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. One of my all-time favorite thoughts about Scripture is that it all points to Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the greatest turning points in my personal Bible study life is this, when I came to the realization that everything that's going on in the Old Testament is a revelation of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. I'm actually really excited about this new study. Now, because of the Ellerslie online program that we've just launched, I decided that for these five weeks, I'm going to be doing a special Bible study series on this idea of Christ in the Old Testament and just seeing that beautiful scarlet thread of redemption weave itself all through the Old Testament. And in light of that, I just wanted to remind you that the Ellerslie online program has just started this week. I am so excited for the hundreds of people from around the world who are joining us in studying the word of God and really pursuing Jesus Christ together in an online format. This is the first time we've done it this way. And from right now to the end of the month, you can sign up for a donation only basis. So you can give whatever you can and you can have access to this incredible training. I'm really excited for what lies ahead as we study God's word together and pursue Jesus Christ down the narrow way of the cross. So I, again, I would encourage you to check out ellerslie.com to learn more about the Ellerslie online program. And hopefully you can join us over these next couple of weeks. Well, without further ado, here is today's message talking and giving an overview about seeing Jesus Christ in all of scripture. Uh, on Tuesday mornings, we've been uh, walking through a study on Ephesians, but we're not doing that today. Uh, we're actually switching things up for this, uh, for the Ellerslie online training that we have. We're actually going to be doing a whole study on Christophany. And uh, Eric said it'd be really good during this Ellerslie online thing if we just kind of switch some things up. That was some months ago, and he's still in the middle of World War II, and he decided he's not switching his stuff up. So, <laughs> so I'm switching. Uh, so we're taking a month off from the Ephesians study, and uh, we're going to be looking at Christophany stuff. So the plan is, over the next, what is it, five weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at some of my all-time favorite, what we're calling Christophanies in the Old Testament, of how do you see Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, which is probably one of my all-time favorite studies. So what we're going to do today is I just want to give an overview and I'm going to give you a whole bunch of scripture, uh, so I'll apologize for that. But uh, for those who are watching or listening, uh, good luck. Try to write them down, I guess, the best you can, uh, or we'll try to make them available or whatever. So <clears throat> let's, uh, let's dive in. <clears throat> uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Uh, I love this. Paul is talking to Timothy. It's, it's the last letter that Paul wrote, and he's communicating something really clear to Timothy. And just to set the stage, listen, listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you learned it and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, speaking of the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Isn't it an interesting thought? That Paul says, hey, you've been acquainted with the Old Testament, and they are wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, what's happening in the Old Testament is preparing you and leading you somewhere. Well, where is that somewhere? Jesus. 
which is kind of amazing. And then he goes on, listen to this. Of course, you know this one by heart. But all Scripture, again, Paul's talking about the Old Testament, all Scripture is breathed out by God or inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may become complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says, do you realize what's happening in the Old Testament? The Old Testament is it is doing something. It is literally breathed by God, and it is there. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, and that it actually helps you be complete and equipped for every good work. That the Old Testament isn't just these old writings that we set aside and go, well, we now have the new covenant. Well, let's, 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 let's just set that aside. The old covenant is essential to our understanding of the new covenant. And as believers, you realize we are not New Testament believers. We are full Bible believers. That is important. And as we consistently say, the Old Testament is revealed, it's exposed in the New Testament. And the New Testament, if you take the concepts and, the, and what's happening at the cross, this stuff is hidden all throughout the Old Testament. So the only way you're going to properly understand the Old Testament is if you have the New Testament. And interestingly, interestingly, the only way you're going to understand the New Testament is if you have the Old Testament. Uh, for example, the book of Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation, I think, has 400 and something verses in it. But 800 times in those 400 verses, it points back to the Old Testament. And you have to know, you have to have a working understanding of the Old Testament to fully understand what's happening in the book of Revelation. And that, that happens all over the place. So it's not just that there was this old thing going on and then God finally says, you know what, we're done with all that and I have a new plan. Whoop, here's Jesus. It's that Jesus is seen all throughout the Old Testament. So that's what I want to set the stage for this morning. So as we begin to go, walk through the Old Testament, how you are prepped, if you will, for seeing Jesus. So you got to realize that everything that's going on in the Old Testament is a revelation of Jesus. Everything is a big finger pointing to him. So listen to this. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes into Nazareth, and uh, he sits down in the synagogue, and he's about to teach, and he's handed this scroll of Isaiah. And in Luke chapter 4, verses, verse 17 through 21, uh, listen to what Jesus does. It says that he was handed the book of Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So this is in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then Jesus closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you hear what's happening? Here is Jesus. He takes the Old Testament scroll of Isaiah. He begins to read it and says, do you realize what Isaiah was writing here is actually now being fulfilled here in me? That, that all of this over here is now fulfilled here. In fact, Jesus said that in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. He says, do not think I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. By the way, the, the word law and the prophets is the, uh, is the language used to talk about the Old Testament. Right? It's either Moses and Elijah, that, that's the same language, or the law and the prophets, speaking the, the, about the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus says, do not think I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
And for, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus says, do you recognize that what's happening in the Old Testament is, it has not gone away? It has not been removed. It is being sucked up into and is being completed here in me. Uh, if you want a cheesy illustration, uh, when you're a little kid, uh, you're given ABC blocks. And you start to sing the ABC song, right? Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S. Or you go the other way, right? But either way, you know, you, you learn the alphabet song and you start to play with the alphabet, alphabet blocks. But hey, when you get into college, it's not that the alphabet blocks have gone away. It's not that, you, you know, the song is, is less important. It's just that all that stuff that, was, that you were learning here in the old has been sucked up into a greater reality, which is reading. So hey, it's not that this has gone away, it's, but it's been fulfilled in the reading. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not that we're tossing out the old. It's not that it was bad and evil. It, it's good, but it is, it is being sucked up into and it's fulfilling its purpose. It's finding completion in Jesus. Isn't that an awesome thought? I love that. Uh, in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and and of course, the Pharisees, these are the guys who had memorized the Old Testament. Uh, typically by age five, you know, the, uh, the little Jewish boys would start to memorize the five books of Moses. And the first book they would memorize, this is so awesome to me, the very first of the five books of Moses that they would begin to memorize was typically Leviticus. Oh, praise the Lord. Right? Because it's the revelation of the, the holiness and the perfection of God. Usually by the age of 12, a little Jewish boy would have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy perfectly memorized. And if you continued on in, in rabbinical studies, by the time you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a rabbi, you would typically have the entirety of the, the, entirety of the Old Testament memorized. I mean, that's such a... I mean, how are we doing? <laughs> we're not doing so hot. But Jesus is talking to that group of guys, right? They're, they're long, long robes, big phylacteries. I mean, these guys know the word of the Lord. And he looks at them in John 5, 39, and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. He says, hey, you know the word, and you're going to the word. Why? Because you think that by doing this activity in the word, you're going to find life. But listen to what Jesus says. But these are they which testify of me. The, these, this book is, is declaring who I am. So here you are. You, this, you have this thing memorized. You're studying it all day long because you think that by engaging in it, you're going to have life. This doesn't give you life. This points you to the one who is life, and I'm standing right in front of you. So here you are. You have the whole Old Testament memorized, but the fullness of the Old Testament is right here in the flesh, says Jesus. That is awesome to me. A few verses later in John 5, 46, uh, Jesus is talking about Moses and he looks at these Pharisees and he says, if you believed Moses, which they did, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you would say, excuse me, Nathan, uh, Jesus did not show up on the scene until 2,000 years ago. So how on earth did Moses write, you know, the Genesis or Deuteronomy thing, how on earth did he write about Jesus? Because surely, I mean, I, I've read it, the word Jesus is not in Genesis or Deuteronomy. 
And Jesus says, no, 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 you missed this. He wrote about me. That this whole thing is about me. And one of the things we just have to keep in mind is that Jesus, yes, was, was born as a babe 2,000 years ago. He became incarnate. But he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He always has been, is, and always will be. That, that when here is God speaking creation into existence, it is not the Father speaking in, into existence. It's the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit speaking creation into existence. We have to keep that in mind. Hey, when God was, was using David or, or using Daniel or you know, whatever Bible character you want to use from the Old Testament, you got to recognize that when it says God, we're talking about the triune God, and all three members of the Trinity were right there in the middle of that thing, which includes Jesus. In fact, you get really specific, and we're gonna be, this is some of the stuff we're going to be walking through, but John tell, or sorry, uh, Paul tells us that here is God. He speaks creation into existence. Do you know the one who was actually speaking that? Jesus. Uh, John tells us that, that here is, here's Isaiah in Isaiah 6, and he comes into the throne room of the temple, and the, of course the train of God's robe fills the temple. John says, do you know who Isaiah saw? Jesus. Uh, here, here's this bush speaking to Moses. And the New Testament says, do you know who was speaking to Moses through the bush? Jesus. So it's not that you know, Jesus suddenly appeared on the scene 2,000 years ago and he, you know, he never existed before. He has always been there. And so it makes sense then, Jesus looking at the Pharisees saying, hey, when you come to the books of Moses and you begin to read Moses, what you begin to hear is me because Moses wrote about me, says Jesus. This whole thing is about me. Uh, I love Luke 24. Luke 24, Jesus just rose from the dead and uh, he, uh, he shows up on the scene where these two disciples are on their way to Emmaus, this little village about seven miles from Jerusalem. And uh, here they are, they're, they're wandering this, this path all the way down to Emmaus. And, and Jesus shows up and he looks at the two guys and he says, hey, why are you guys depressed? And of course they look at Jesus and just say, where have you been? I mean, everybody in Jerusalem is talking about this. The one we thought was the Messiah, they have crucified. And he's dead and And it says, I love this, Luke 24, verse 25 through 27, Jesus said to these two disciples, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the the prophets have spoken. See, he's going back to this idea of, hey, the prophets spoke about this. Why are you surprised? I mean, the, the prophets spoke about this reality that you're now depressed about. And Jesus goes on and says, Ought not the Christ, the Messiah, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now get this. Jesus, uh, Luke tells us, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Could you imagine what this must have been like? Here are these two disciples, and they're walking on the seven-mile journey to Emmaus. Jesus appears, and they don't recognize him. But Jesus begins to take the Old Testament and begin to expose himself through the Old Testament. He begins to say, hey, remember that part right there? That's about the Messiah, right? Remember that part right there? That's about the Messiah. Remember that part right there? Yep, that's about the Messiah. And he's literally walking through the Old Testament, revealing, exposing himself to them. I would have loved to have been there. Because, you know, seven miles is a long ways, but it's it's not that long. So what stories did Jesus pick out to reveal himself through? That's what I want to know. I would have loved to have been there. 
But what Jesus is telling us, or what Luke is telling us, is that Jesus is revealing himself through the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is not some dry, dusty book that we just kind of set on the shelves and go, well, that was nice. See, the whole Old Testament has a revelation of one key thing. That's Jesus. So as you come into the Old Testament then, you are to see Jesus. If you want another example, in Acts chapter 8, Philip is pressed to go out to this road and he sees this Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And of course, Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? (laughs) And the Ethiopian eunuch is like, I have no idea. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? And, And so Philip gets up on the chariot. Now think about this. Philip starts with the scroll of Isaiah, and it says, Philip opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So, so here is Philip. He, he's looking at the Old Testament. He's looking at the, at, the, at, at the scroll of Isaiah, and using Isaiah, proclaimed Jesus to him. Why? Because the entirety of the Old Testament is a revelation of who Jesus is. Now, the moment I began to realize that, my, my whole study, my whole perspective of the Old Testament radically shifted. It's like I could no longer look at the Old Testament the same way again. It's like Jesus is the lens or the key through which we are to properly understand the Old Testament. And in fact, Paul even says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to see this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul is talking about <clears throat> the fact that this, this new uh, is far superior than the old. But he's talking about this new covenant thing. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, <clears throat> I'll start at verse 12. Uh, Paul says, Seeing then that we have such hope, we speak with great boldness, not as Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look intently at the end of what was fading away. So Paul is hearkening back to the Old Testament. He says, remember that time when Moses went went up on the mountain and he spent these days with God and he came down off the mountain and the glory of the Lord was so evident upon Moses that his face was glowing. So much so that everyone's just like, whoa, 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 buddy. I just, this is brighter than a flashlight. So could you you do something about this? Like, could you put something on your face so we don't don't have to see all this brightness? And so there's this whole season where Moses had this veil and the only time he would take it off is when he would go into the tent of meeting to be with the Lord. But the, but the glory of the Lord was so intense upon his face, he just, so he just, he hid this thing. So Paul is using that as an illustration. Uh, look at verse 14. He says, instead, their minds were blinded. He's talking about the Jews. For even until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the old covenant. Speaking of the Old Testament. And that veil which was done away with in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is in their hearts. Nevertheless, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you you hear what Paul's saying? He's saying that even in his day, when the Jews would read the Old Testament, it's like they were blinded. They, they had this veil upon their, their minds, upon their hearts, and they could not actually see what the Old Testament was about. And Paul says that veil is done away with in Christ. That when you take Christ and you see the Old Testament in light of him, this veil is removed. Just as a fun side note, there, there's this verse, verse 17, that we all know. In fact, we sing songs about it. 
All right, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. You realize that in context, what he's talking about is reading the Old Testament. That, that, hey, when I get into the Old Testament and I begin to see the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, there is freedom and liberty that comes from that. Isn't that interesting? I just, oh, I love that. And, uh, hey, if you talk to Jews today, do you realize this is still true for them today? That even to this day, hey, their minds have this veil upon them. Why? Because they do not read the Old Testament in light of Jesus. Their, their Messiah has come, and they miss him. Why? Because there's this veil. So what that tells us then is, hey, as we come to the Old Testament, let us as believers not put a veil upon our face, upon our hearts, and just read the Old Testament as good moral stories. Oh, th these are great historical documents. These are whatever. Now, they are historical documents. Yes, there are good morals from them. But the primary emphasis of the Old Testament is Jesus. And everything that God's doing in the Old Testament is leading up to the reality of the cross. And everything that is in the New Testament is an outflow of that reality. So again, as, you, as we come to this book, we have to realize that every page of this book has one key focus. It's Jesus. And yes, there's a whole lot of other subplots and subcharacters, and, and, and that's all true. And God has given us incredible, true historical information. But, but hey, this book is not so much about creation evolution. It's about Jesus. Now, that's in there, but this is about Jesus. This is not about the angelic realm, though there's that, that's in here too. This is about Jesus. Hey, this isn't about, well, the historical records of our faith. That's true. That's in here. But this primarily is about Jesus. So as I come into this book then, what I should be aiming for is to get to know the author, that, that I, sh I should hunger and thirst after him, that I, that I should seek him because he is revealing himself to me through this book. So whether I'm in the Old Testament or the New Testament, this book proclaims Christ. And that is so fundamental. And of course, we're going to be walking through over this next month a whole bunch of examples of just how Jesus is hidden not hidden, because he's, I mean, it's clear, but it's, we tend to miss it. So again, everything in this book point, points to Jesus. Now, just for kicks and giggles, uh, Nancy Guthrie uh, has this great book on Jesus in the Old Testament, and I, I like a lot of her stuff. Let me just read a section of her introduction, because I just, I liked how she said this, and I think it lays a great foundation. She says, the Old Testament is filled with people, patterns, symbols, and stories that point to Christ. In fact, without the light that Christ shines on the Old Testament, it is an unfinished story, an unfulfilled promise. Unless we read the Old Testament through the lens of Christ, we simply can't understand how God can be just and yet extend mercy to sinners. Without Christ, we can't understand how God will be able to bring sinners into his holy presence. Christ's, sorry, Christ answers the questions. He resolves the tensions and is the substance behind the symbols. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, such a great way of articulating it. Uh, as we come to the Old Testament, you realize that Jesus is seen in the Old Testament through prophecy. That, that's probably the easiest one to understand. Right? There's all these prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about his first coming, that talk about his second coming, that talk about what he's doing and, being, and what he's fulfilling. So, uh, hey, there's a lot of that in there. But there's also symbolism in the Old Testament. That there are these key symbols that point to Jesus Christ. There are foreshadows, 
right? Foreshadows is those things that, uh, that are like, it's, well, it's a shadow, <laughs> right? But, but just as like if I was outside and, there's, and the sun was casting a shadow on the ground, sometimes you can look at a shadow and go, hey, that's so-and-so without knowing who it is because their shadow looks like them. But we don't look at the shadow and we just embrace the shadow and we hug the shadow and we start you know, talking to the shadow when the person is standing there. And it's like in the Old Testament, we have these shadows. For example, we have this Passover lamb in the Old Testament. Oh, so there's this actual lamb. Yes, but it's a, it's a symbol. It's a foreshadow of something greater. What is it? The Passover lamb. And so the moment that Jesus shows up on the scene, we, we don't need to keep doing the little Passover lamb thing anymore. Why? Because the Passover lamb has been the sacrifice. But hey, this stuff runs all, all, through, all through the Old Testament. Uh, there's allegory. There, there, there are what we would call types, where people or places become a picture of the reality of Jesus. Uh, for example, Job, in the book of Job, in, uh, in verse 1 and 2, it talks about Job lives in this place called Uz. Is it Uz? Er. Uz. Job, it's interesting, Job's name means hated and despised, which cracks me up. <laughs> Do you know how horrible that must have been for his parents? Coochie, coochie, coo. What do we call him? Let's call him hated and despised. I mean, I, I, that's, that cracks me up. Anyway, so Job's name is hated and despised. And he lives in this place, which means the place of wood. So ponder this. Job is the hated and despised one living in the place of wood. What does that sound like? Jesus. Now, Job wasn't Jesus. We, we understand that. David, David's a great example. David is a type of Christ. He's a picture of Jesus. Now, David is not Jesus. David had sin. Oh, he had sin. Right? So it's not that everything in David's life is a picture of Jesus. We, hey, we understand that. But when you look at the reality of what, what was happening in the life of David, it's like he becomes a finger pointing to this, the greater reality, the greater David, which is Jesus. Jesus said things like, I am the greater Solomon. That here is Solomon, the wisest man who had all this riches, but he was a picture of something. Well, what was the picture that Solomon was pointing to? Jesus says, it was me. So, so that's a type. So Hebrews 8, uh, Hebrews 8, verses 4 and 5, talks about this. The writer of Hebrews says, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. But they serve as a copy or an example and a shadow of the heavenly things. So the writer of Hebrews says, Do you know what the priests of the Old Testament were? They were a copy, an example, and a shadow of the greater reality. The high priest. Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 10.1, the writer says, For the law, having a shadow of the things to come, but not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, in the Old Testament, we did all the sacrifice things. And hey, it wasn't bad. It was good in that day and age. But it was a shadow, it was a picture of what was actually being fulfilled here in Jesus now. So why, don't, why, do, why, why do we stop to the sacrifices? Because we have the sacrifice who is the fulfillment of what that was a shadow of. So again, as we begin to walk through, what you begin to find is that the locations, the, the geography, uh, the sacrifices, the celebrations, the, the people, the stories, 
Everything that's going on in the Old Testament is a revelation. It's an expansion, a demonstration, an exposure of the reality of Jesus and what what he is longing to do in our hearts through the cross. So maybe just to bring some more clarity here, let me just finish that introduction from Nancy Guthrie. I just, oh, she just gives some good examples. I just want to tease this out a little bit before we, in the coming days, actually talk through some of these. She says, most of my life I have read and been taught that the Old Testament was a series of life lessons or faith lessons. I knew that the Old Testament spoke of Christ, but in my mind, that was limited to the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. I did not see that. In fact, all of the Old Testament is preparing us to understand who Christ is and what he came to do. What I did not see is that the Old Testament tells us that only finds its completion in Jesus Christ. I did not see that Jesus is the offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the ark that protects the faithful remnant from judgment. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the blessings promised to Abraham. He is the greater Isaac, the beloved son of the father, offered as a sacrifice, who was not spared from the knife. Jesus is the stairway that Jacob saw in his dream on which God comes down to earth. Jesus is the greater Joseph, the one whose suffering put him in place to become savior to all who come to him for food and amidst the famine of the world. And those are just a few of the highlights from Genesis. Jesus is the reality to all the sacrifices and offerings and festivals point. He is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the temple making his home with us. He is the greater Moses who brings his people out of the slavery to sin. The greater Israel who is not disobedient in the wilderness. The greater son of David, whose kingdom will last forever. The greater Solomon, who is the prince of peace. He's the weeping prophet. The greater Jonah, who runs towards sinners rather than away from them. The bridegroom, the branch, Isaiah's child. Not a great quote. What Nancy is saying is, this whole thing is about Jesus. And uh, about 10 years ago or so, as I just began to gain a hold of this concept, Boy, I cannot tell you how rich reading and studying the Old Testament becomes when you begin to see that it points to Jesus. Now, just a word of warning. You've got to recognize that every page of this book points to Jesus. But that does not mean we over-scrutinize. If you're going to study the Old Testament, please first study the Old Testament in context. You, you have to see what's going on in light of its, its context. And what you'll find is that the revelation of Jesus comes out of that. So you do not look under every rock and every bush and every, it, you, don't, you don't try to find Jesus, quote unquote, because you get weird. For example, every tree in the Old Testament does not represent the cross. It could just be a tree. Every time you see the word red, it does not mean, oh, it's the blood. Now, on occasion, it does mean that. It is referring to the blood of Christ. But that does not mean that every time you see the word red, oh, it's, it's the blood. Right? So we have to recognize that yes, every page of the scripture is, is this big finger pointing to the reality of Jesus, but let us not just get weird and scrutinize and look under every rock and cranny and, and, and put meaning here that, that wasn't intended. And what my desire is, as we begin to walk through these next couple of weeks, I want to walk through these examples, some of my all-time favorite pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. I want you to see this thread of redemption that weaves itself all through Scripture, just revealing who he is, because it is clearly, clearly there. And just maybe a point of practical thing as we're just closing today, would you, would you ask God to reveal himself to you through this book? That it's not just, well, Lord, give me some information, but Lord, I actually want to know you, the author, 
And if every page of this book points to you, I want to know you. And, and allow the Holy Spirit to remove that veil on your mind and your heart so that through this book you would indeed see Jesus. It is so marvelous. And I cannot wait for this series as we're diving into this to just begin to see him through his word because this is about one key character, Jesus. I love that. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you. Thank you for your word. And thank you that your word is a picture of you. It is a revelation of who you are. And that you were so intentional with everything that you included in this book so that it would reveal you. And so, Lord, I do pray that as we dive into this series over the next few weeks, that you would, that you would remove the veil upon our hearts and our minds, that that mystery would no longer be a mystery, but there would be a revelation and insight and the knowledge of who you are through your book. And so, Lord, Lord, we just freshly come before you, and we want to humble ourselves and say, teach us, reveal to us through your word yourself. Lord, we just declare that you are good. Oh, we love you. And thank you that you're not some God who is in the distance and you're wanting us to somehow scrounge up and somehow find a means to get to know you. But instead, you have come and condescended yourself to reveal yourself to us. That you want to reveal yourself to us. You want to change our hearts so that we might have intimacy and oneness with you. Oh, what an amazing reality. And Lord, we thank you for it. We just give you the praise and the glory. We love you. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.